Hello. My name is Skipper Chung Warson. I'm a design director in San Francisco. Thanks for tuning in to How This Works. This is a show where I invite people on to talk about a topic that they know incredibly well. And today I have with me Brad Bogus. He's going to talk to us generally about the cannabis industry and the effects of cannabinoids on the human body. So you know, this episode contains some explicit language and adult subject matter. Thanks for being here, Brad. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Skipper. Let's start with you. How do you introduce yourself? Tell us who you are, some biographical background, a few sentences maybe. Certainly. You know, I find myself kind of conflicted in this answer because um, personally, I see myself as an artist and an actor and a musician uh, a punk rocker, right? But okay. um, when people ask this question, often they mean like, what's my profession, right? So <laughs> sure. uh, I, I've been an entrepreneur most of my career. Um, I recently joined the cannabis industry. Well, not recently, I guess now it's over four years ago. Um, yeah. And very quickly became involved in every aspect of the cannabis industry, uh, learning every bit of it. I, I personally do marketing in the cannabis industry, but okay, I introduce myself as an artist. That's That's who I am at heart, right? That's fair. So given given that context, what's something that people don't know about you? What's something that um, people don't often guess? It, it doesn't have much to do with cannabis other than like I'm a huge Shakespeare fan and okay. uh, have I've actually learned Shakespeare from two of the top authorities of Shakespeare in the world. Uh, one of which, unfortunately, has has passed. But oh. um, my 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 knowledge and education that I received on Shakespeare is just like so vast in a way that most people don't realize Shakespeare wrote in. So I, I really like to talk about, you know, theater especially, but when you get me nerding out on Shakespeare, I uh, I go nuts. <laughs> Do you have a favorite Shakespeare work? And I know that's hard. It's like sort of like picking your favorite child. Yeah, it, it's a good uh, question. I mean, um, for the most part, I would say Winter's Tale. Mm. Um, the Winter's Tale kind of spoke to me when I read it in college. Um, I need to revisit it. That and Titus Andronicus and yeah. really Julie Taymor's production of Titus Andronicus with uh, Anthony Hopkins. And I mean, I, I'm not going to go through the whole cast. It's an, a, a star studded <laughs> cast, but it's one of the greatest presentations of Shakespeare I've seen. And so it really connected me to that work, too. Yeah. Is that available on video? Yeah, it's on DVD. Uh, I think it came okay. out in the early 2000s. OK, it's stunning. OK, we'll link to it in the show notes because Julie Taymor has done so much amazing stage work in terms of like the staging of the Lion King, I know. That's right. And, you know, she did that Spider-Man show on Broadway and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah. Um, yeah. She also cool. did a, um, a a version of Midsummer Night's Dream, which is oh. amazing and fascinating. And uh, that's also on video, although I think it's hard to find. Well, if we can find it, I'll, I'll link to it. Yeah. So, Brad, what are we talking about today? What is the topic um, that you consider yourself very well versed? I think that a lot of people understand that cannabis affects us either medicinally or psycho psychoactively, but I don't think people really understand why. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I've done in my career in the cannabis industry and actually as a consumer prior is get very educated on what exactly is going on. How can we understand how cannabis affects us? Um, because I care very much about it. I've seen the medicinal benefits of people who have used it, who were in you know hopeless situations, and I've also seen people who just like to get high. And you know, there's there, there's a whole lot of um, philosophy as well as uh, science that goes into kind of how cannabis affects us, and we don't have really solid answers. Okay. And so it's a hard question to answer for most people. And uh, I think that's what that's what I'm really excited to dig into today. 
Well, I'd love to set up with a, maybe a little bit of background about talking about the history of cannabis. Yeah. And it, and it used to be that cannabis or marijuana, is it is it fair to use those two terms interchangeably? Or are I mean, they it, discrete? It, it is for the general public for sure. Okay. There's a lot of controversy around the word marijuana okay. because it has this root in uh, racism in the United States. It was used as a boogeyman term uh, to scare white people of, uh, of brown people and basically say that, you know, um, the, the Latinx community is bringing weed into your communities to destroy white women. Right. And so okay. there's this loaded history the behind madness. the word marijuana. Exactly. Reefer madness. And so it was used in that way. But it actually does have its roots in Mexican culture uh, way prior to its adoption by white racist prohibitionists. And in that regard, I like to continue to use it because I think it honors its original heritage in that way sure. uh, before it came into the United States. And so, sure. yeah, there's there, most people will side with let's get away from the racist roots of the word marijuana and move to cannabis because it's scientifically accurate. But I feel like sure. that sort of whitewashes a bit of the history. That's fair. How how does this start, right? Cannabis is yeah. a thing that grows out in the wild, but up until recently, it was illegal yeah. uh, for the most part. So how how did how did this start? It starts with uh, corporate interests. A long time ago, uh, when I say a long time ago, I'm talking like you know the early 1900s. There was a real threat to the newspaper industry, to the uh, textiles industry, and even to sort of the oil and gas industry to a certain extent. That the hemp crop, which is, but for everyone to understand, hemp and cannabis are the exact same plant. They just are grown for different purposes. And you can grow it for textiles. You can grow it for you know medicine. You can grow it for a lot of different things. But okay, the textile uh, form of the plant was extremely sustainable extremely useful in many different forms and, and, and factors. And and so the paper industry saw this as a real threat. And uh, William Randolph Hearst, who ran the newspapers at the time as pretty much like a monopoly for the most part, spent tons of money to try to demonize this plant as being the devil drug because he knew that he could scare white people to kind of unite against it without really having to give away the ruse, which is that I'm afraid that this is going to supplant my entire industry. So like rather than adopting a much better form or source for his paper, he decided to just demonize it and try to kill it. And then a few other, you know, corporate interests jumped on with that. And yeah. they 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 planted such a powerful seed that that seed still grows today. I mean, yeah. you know, it's it's like trying to kill a weed now, <laughs> no pun intended, because um, right. <laughs> it's out of control and it's rooted even in my psyche. I still have the drug war sort of propaganda rooted in my brain always in, in yeah. small little echoes. And that's just how powerful and pervasive propaganda can be when you don't have knowledge and uh, science to kind of help untangle that propaganda and find the reality. Yeah. So now we're... In a landscape, at least in this country, in the United States, where you know there are a variety of states that have legalized it for medical purposes, um, a variety of states have legalized it for recreational purposes. I know even just this past election, there were a few states that New Jersey, I, I know, is one of them that legalized it for recreational purposes. Yeah. Um, but what is what is the current sort of thinking, at least the legal thinking on um, cannabis? I mean, for the most part, there's wide consensus that the public is behind legalization of cannabis on a federal level. Yeah. There are a lot of states that have 
varying levels of opinion, but even in the most red states, you're going to find wide consensus that cannabis should be legal in that state and federally. It's yeah. one of the random, you know, political issues that in this time when we're so polarized, somehow unites both sides. Yeah. So really what we're fighting against is the fact that our government has continued to be run by people whom are very many generations older than we are, you know, <laughs> and are just behind on this. I mean, I recently saw uh, a stat that Biden and Pelosi are closer to the assassination of Lincoln than they are to today in their age. Their date of birth is closer to when Lincoln oh, was wow. assassinated than they are to modern day. And that is like a shocking statistic to me, but it does speak to the idea that we just have very old people in power making these decisions who just don't get it. And yeah. it's confusing to them. And it feels like they were told a paradigm and now they're being told a completely different thing. And despite public support on it, you would think that would move the needle, but they still dig their heels in for whatever reasons and public interest and lobbying money from the pharmaceutical industries and all these things like they, they are part of the reason why that's the case. But sure. um, that's where we are on, on a nation. Like we are all united on the idea that this needs to be legalized, that we need to decriminalize and stop imprisoning people right. for nonviolent drug offenses, particularly ones where they're just like using cannabis on their own yeah. and are given life sentences for it. People are still serving life sentences to this day for having as little as a joint on their person. Wow. So, um, that blows my mind. You know, yeah, it's. I, I feel like we're on the precipice of there being some sort of federal motion to legalize. There's a um, an act in Congress called the Moore Act, which is probably the most likely to get passed. But okay. at the same time, we just elected a president. You know, thankfully, we didn't continue with Trump, but he would not have been for federal legalization. Biden has also said he's not for federal legalization. And that's a real letdown because like, come on, man, read the room. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go grab my hoodie to put over this because I just realized that I'm probably popping on my P's and B's. Give me one second. Super professional. I really need to get a pop filter or something. <laughs> <laughs> or even just the foam. I think the foam helps too, like yeah. on the outside. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, it's funny. Like, that's my feeling as well. I have a similar feeling that, um, I'm a, generally speaking, a majority of the country um, is not uh, on the same page around um, the criminal laws that surround cannabis. Yeah. Change sometimes comes very slowly, um, but when it does come, um, I think it, it, it comes in the right way. That's right. Yeah. yeah. I feel like most of the people in the cannabis industry sort of uh, feel internally about this issue like that Sam Cooke song. It's like uh, change is going to come. We feel sort of hopeful for it. There's like some joy in it, but it's also there's a sadness that it's still taking this long to get there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So that's great to have that context of sort of what's going on with cannabis, you know, in this country. But it's not just uh, a consumer's market, though, right? There's a like as legalization has slowly begun snowballing across the country, I guess that might be the appropriate word. We're beginning to see the industries come up around it. Can you talk a little bit about what's happening backstage? Because a lot of people are aware of the front stage stuff, but what about the backstage stuff? Sure. Yeah. I mean, the front stage stuff is real sexy. The backstage stuff is normal. It's just like a normal industry. You know, you've got lawyers and accountants and tax attorneys and um, you know, software providers and ERP systems and logistics. And, you know, it's, um, it, what's it, an it's, ERP system. Uh, it, that's a good question. Uh, it, it's, it's how you manage inventory, um, the inventory the, control. Okay. Yeah. I don't remember what the actual acronym stands for Okay, now that you put me on the spot, but anyway, uh, you know, these are just like different, um, uh, software systems that help people just control 
you know, the flow of logistics within their company. Like if they're creating right. a product or if they're distributing a product, some companies exist solely just to take one product from one side to another. You know, they yeah. don't create yeah. anything. And and this is very normal for every industry, you know. Yeah. Um, it just so happens that it's like this really cool product that's cannabis and that most of the people that you're interacting with in the industry are pretty rad. Yeah. I mean, the one thing that makes the cannabis industry very different is that the makeup of the people within it are different than the makeup of the people within most other industries, um, at mm. least so far. The very yeah. first business meeting I ever took in the cannabis industry, we talked about using LSD. So, you know, <laughs> I, I worked for 11 years. Not the normal years. topic. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I worked for 11 years in Austin, Texas on the sort of marketing content agency side. And uh, in all of that 11 years, I rarely ever, if never, talked about even smoking weed in a business meeting. So my very <laughs> sure. first business meeting to talk about LSD, I was like, well, this is a little different. <laughs> Yeah. But what we were talking about was buying ads and getting impressions and, you know, trying to drive momentum. Um, you know, so so what I'm trying to say here is that the industry itself is relatively boring and normal, right? Like yeah. the way that it's working is you've got, you know, producers who need to produce a product and those right. can be, you know, the cultivators um, out there who are growing the cannabis either indoors or outdoors. Those are probably the companies that most people can relate to the most because sure. you're talking about people who are farmers or maybe, you know, even have been doing this back in the legacy market when it was super illegal. And so they have the culture and all that behind them. Okay. But once it leaves their hands, it goes into potentially, you know, scientific laboratories uh, for extraction and manipulation into various other products. It can go into an edibles company, which yeah. either looks like a crunchy cookie factory or it looks like a large scale food production company, you know, sure. and I've been into every single one of these types of businesses uh, at every step along the supply chain. And it's just, you know, kind of a, a normal supply chain operating industry. But you're just dealing with these really cool products. The thing that makes it really not normal and probably harder to make a buck in the cannabis industry than most people realize is the heavy regulations within the industry that, okay. by the way, I think most of them are good things to have in not just the cannabis industry, but should probably be a little bit more far reaching. Sure. One of those regulations, for instance, is that every single thing has to be tested in the cannabis industry. Every product, okay. when, a, when, a, when a plant is grown, it's tested while it's grown, as well as uh, after it's grown. Oh, interesting. So you cure the product, you get it tested. That test will tell you what the you know actual percentage of chemistry is across the plant from the cannabinoids uh, like THC and CBD. Yeah. But it'll also tell you if there are any heavy metals or pesticides or like negative chemicals that are still present in the plant so that it can be safe for consumption. Okay. Um, this is not something that tobacco okay. industry does, which is probably one of the reasons why tobacco is such a you know, hellacious carcinogenic uh, product because, <laughs> yeah. you know, despite just the smoking of it alone, which is bad, there's God knows what else in that uh, leaf that you're smoking yeah. and inhaling. So that's one thing that I really believe uh, is a benefit to not just the cannabis industry, but should be a benefit extended past this to the, um, you know, food and natural products industry. Yeah. We should test plants. Yeah. And once that's tested, then let's say that plant then gets extracted into an oil, that oil yeah. has to also be tested. Or if it gets yeah. turned into an edible, that edible also has to be tested. And so it's kind of onerous, you know, and there's a lot of yeah. tracking. There's a lot of data that's being collected along the way. Um, yeah. a, a simple cannabis farmer has to become pretty adept at using a data software program to report back to the government all this information. Oh, wow. So okay. 
it's a little that that's one of the big wrinkles about the industry that makes it pretty different. Interesting. And that's not something and you you called out tobacco, but I don't imagine that that's something that happens for a farmer that grows corn yeah, or yeah. wheat or like do they have to test all along the way? Is there any sort of corollary in another industry or is it because this is cannabis? I mean, there there's um there is testing in other foods industries like if you grow basil, sure. there's some testing that is required, but it's very minimal. It's okay. not the deep extensive amount of testing that is required for cannabis. And okay. and for better or worse, uh, the cannabis industry as a result of this has gathered more data on this product than is gathered on any consumer product in the world. Wow. I mean, we if coffee was tested to the level of, and it should be, by the way, to the level of cannabis, we would <laughs> learn so much about coffee chemistry that we don't currently know. You know, yeah. all we know about coffee chemistry is caffeine, but there's yeah. so much else going on there. And, you know, the more testing that we could do uh, at the level that we do with cannabis, we might start to really understand a whole lot about, you know, how certain herbs are affecting us. Yeah. You, you mentioned a few things there. You mentioned not only cannabis, but then you also talked about CBD as a product. Yeah. For listeners that may not be aware, and look, you walk into a supermarket now or a convenience store, and I feel like CBD is everywhere. Yeah. Like what, how is CBD different than THC? Yeah, this is, um, this is where things start to get really confusing for people because there's, there's two things that, that tend to bifurcate the cannabis industry from the CBD industry. One is the, there's a legal designation on, uh, the cannabis plant that determines whether it's cannabis or hemp. Yeah. That legal designation is how much THC is present in the plant. Okay. The only single thing that separates the hemp plant from the cannabis plant. It's really okay. the same plant, but this is a legal definition that was determined on an arbitrary chemical distinction because people were afraid of people getting high off of textiles. It, I mean, sure. literally, like they thought, oh, can you just smoke your shirt? That was spoken <laughs> on the floors of Congress in various forms. It's so embarrassing. So, good. Um, <laughs> so CBD um, is one of the many cannabinoids that the cannabis plant expresses in, uh, and it's one of two that the cannabis plant expresses in large volumes. So THC and yeah. CBD are the two big players. There's a whole yeah. host of about 150 other cannabinoids that uh, the plant produces. But um, what we find is that CBD has a ton of medicinal value in and of itself. Like just isolating yeah. CBD alone has medicinal value. So uh, the hemp plant can't grow THC and still be designated as hemp, but it can grow as much CBD as the plant can express. And there are some okay. genetic strains of cannabis that are uh, more adept at promoting CBD product or growth in in the plant than THC. And so, so the CBD plant or the CBD extract and medicine that comes from the hemp plant because it doesn't have the quote unquote psychoactive substance that gets you high is deemed a lot more federally acceptable. And there's a different governing regulation, uh, set of regulations over the hemp industry through the uh, farm bill that just recently was passed in Congress that allows people to trade and sell CBD all over the, uh, the nation. But we're like stuck in a spot between, um, you know, this being legal and it being regulated by the FDA. The okay. FDA currently doesn't have any oversight of the CBD industry except to penalize them for stepping outside of their bounds, which is like to okay. say making medicinal claims and stuff, right? So yeah. they have to stick to the same sort of like natural medicines world when it comes to marketing and advertising. But But ultimately, the reason why this is important is because what you said is – CBD can be seen now everywhere. You can go on Amazon, you can go to a grocery store and you'll see all sorts of CBD products. How do you know that they're actually good products? How do you know they actually contain CBD? 
right? Well, they're not being right. tested at the same level that cannabis is being tested at. So, yeah. and, and there's a lot of tricky wording that is used in CBD products. So the problem that we face right now is that a large portion of the CBD products available on the market don't actually contain CBD. And if they do contain CBD, yeah. it's a very tiny amount. Um, the right. only way that you can... Not what, not, not what is being advertised or not what would be helpful. That's right. Yeah. They might say something to you like, this contains you know, 500 milligrams of hemp seed oil, right? Or, or okay. even hemp extract. And you're like, oh, great. Yeah. Well, that's great. But those words yeah. aren't CBD, right? If it contains yeah. 1,000 milligrams yeah. of CBD... Uh, then you yeah. know it actually has that compound in it. So you have to really look at the ingredients. A, a, a CBD company that's that's trustworthy and and worth their salt uh, will have lab test results associated with their products, even though they're not required to take this level of lab testing. Oh, interesting. And they and that should be accessible from a link or a QR code right on their packaging. If they aren't willing to yeah. put their lab results right on their packaging, they're trying to hide something. Um, so that, that's one really good benchmark I use to determining what is what when you're out there. But in general, what CBD does for people is it reduces inflammation kind of like across the board. Yeah. Inflammation can be the cause of so many different maladies and ailments that we deal with that aren't just about physical pain. It, 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 it I've seen it help reduce, you know, people with like chronic headache conditions. It, it's helped people with, you know, arthritis and joint pain and sports recovery yeah. and, and, you know, just a whole host of different things. You, you can hear anecdotes about what CBD does. And sometimes it sounds like a miracle drug. Sometimes people are overhyping it. A lot of times it, it sort of acts like a miracle drug, to be perfectly honest. Sure. But we don't have enough scientific human trial studies done to say specifically what exactly it does or can do and what specific treatments yeah. you can use it for to, to combat a whole host of, you know, different illnesses. So, you know, there's like loose language used around it. And that's because we can't actually claim that this will fix your headaches or that this will, you know, you know, treat your arthritis. Yeah. All we can say is it aids in the reduction of inflammation, but right. inflammation <laughs> is core to everything that we deal with. Yeah. Yeah. That's really enlightening. I, I think there are a few pieces in there that any listener can grab onto, like that notion of making sure that it actually says this contains CBD and that um, there's some transparency into lab results. I think that's super helpful yeah. um, for people to know. What, you know, as someone who's worked in the cannabis industry now for um, four or five years, and it sounds like you had an acquaintance with the notion of cannabis previously, what's something that you're really excited by that's you feel like is coming down the pike or um, is, is, is coming up in the very short term future? I think that what we're starting to learn about cannabis is that an individual cannabis product or, um, you know, type of, of cannabis flower out there or bud or whatever you might want to call it, sure. that it affects each of us differently and uniquely based on our own brain chemistries and yeah. the sort of bouquet of chemistry that the plant brings into the equation. Yeah. We tend to think of cannabis like alcohol in the sense that, oh, if you use X amount of cannabis, you will get X amount affected, right? Um, there's a very direct correlation to your mm. blood alcohol level to what kind of inebriation you feel. Sometimes, although people will report differing effects on alcohol, oh, I get really angry when I'm on whiskey, right? Sure. Like some people will say, but with, <laughs> sure. yeah, right. But with cannabis, you can feel panicked, you can feel uh, enlightened, you can feel couch locked yeah. and sort of stupid, yeah. and you can feel really focused. I mean, there's like a whole 
litany of different types of effects you can feel from cannabis. And yeah. what one of the things that my wife and I learned is that we both have different reactions to the same product. I can smoke okay. one thing and get really panicked and she can smoke that and feel very productive and, and like focused and vice I versa. See. So, yeah. you know, that was an aha moment for me a long time ago where I was like, why do we have different, different feelings? And then I started to like learn all of the chemistry and like work within the chemistry side of the industry yeah. quite a bit to start to understand what was going on there. And we've got a lot of research and data on all of these different uh, chemicals that are present and how yeah. they might actually affect us based on on uh, our own brain chemistries and our own lifestyles. So I'm really interested to see the industry get past this concept of this gets you up and this gets you down and more yeah. into the concept of, you know, here's how you personally can uh, find what you need to help, you know, your lifestyle or help treat your own conditions. And it, it's not going to be the same for everybody else. But helping like kind of unlock that door for individuals, I think is really key. So many yeah. people will use cannabis and have a negative effect and then just stop using it, not realizing yeah. that there's a whole other, you know, uh, a set of products that they could try that might give them a totally different effect that they would be like, oh, well, if I had that effect, then I would yeah. definitely use this for my ADD or for, you know, my depression or whatever. So sure. that's one of the things I'm pretty excited about. And, and, and what comes with that is also then finally getting to a more um, finite treatment. So there's like new different types of products that'll be coming out. One of them will be um, application directly into the eyes. And mm. uh, using an eyedropper to treat glaucoma is something oh, that I've been waiting to come on the market because my mother is suffering from glaucoma. So I have a very oh, personal sorry. reason for her yeah. to be able to like use cannabis to treat the glaucoma without getting high because she doesn't necessarily yeah. do well uh, trying to be productive and high at the same time. You know? Sure. And so just to be clear, when you're talking about like different, are we talking about different strains of the plant or are we talking about, I've also read about some distinctions between different types of THC. Like I, I recently read about THCA. Yep. Um, a friend of mine actually who um, is undergoing some medical treatment that results in a pretty good amount of pain actually found some really great success with THCA um, in the tincture form yeah. um, that really helped with pain that doing something like smoking a joint or, you know, um, or vaporizer or like whatever it is, like they didn't find that same level of relief. So are we talking about different types of plants or are we talking about different strains of THC or is it yes to both? Yes. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> yeah, this is where things start to get pretty complicated. I'm going to get into some like deep chemistry nerd shit here. Okay. The, the cannabis plant genetically has over 3000 different variants. Um, oh, wow. a, a, okay. a way to sort of understand this is also coffee beans or basil. Like you've got Thai basil, Italian basil, sure. you've got, you know, Sumatra beans and you've got, you yeah. know, all these other different types of, uh, beans there. If you tested the genetics of those plants, you'd find that yeah. each of them have a unique genetic kind of imprint and okay. those genes determine variations of, you know, proportions of chemicals that the plant itself creates. And those chemicals yeah. are flavor, their smell, they are sure. effect. Right. So um, when you experience the cannabis plant, you can find that they have a wide range of different smells and flavors. You know, sometimes yeah. they smell like uh, skunks. Sometimes they yeah. smell like lemons. Sometimes yeah. they smell sort of like chemicals or Very fuel. floral. Yeah. Or floral. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I, I personally yeah. like the ones that smell like berries and spice. Right. Like so. Okay. Um, so that what you're smelling are different chemicals. Right. You're kind of your nose is a chemistry detection test in a certain uh, form of fashion. If you actually knew what you were smelling, you would be able to I, like, for instance, I could smell a cannabis plant. I can tell you 
pretty accurately what its actual chemistry is um, on the smell and flavor side. Those are, are okay. compounds known as terpenes. All okay. plants produce terpenes. The smell okay. of basil is produced by terpenes. Terpenes also okay. are like the essential oil industry, right? So when you get lavender essential oil, you're getting a lot of a terpene called linalool. Oh, and linalool okay. is used in perfumes and uh, colognes, but uh, it's also okay. used in calming you know, uh, products as well as oils. And, um, and it's present in the cannabis plant. There are some strains okay. of, plant, of cannabis called lavender, for instance, very high linalool producing cannabis plants. Linalool okay. tends to be sedating tends to have a more analgesic effect uh, and and it's pain reducing. Um, whereas there's another terpene known as terpenaline. Terpenaline you'll find in cannabis plants that smell like Lysol. You know, they have this like really um, pungent sort of lemon chemical smell, you know, okay. and pine as well, right? Okay. Kind of like mixes in there. Um, yeah. Terpenaline is what is more known as a racy uh, terpene. It, it tends to increase... Um, like, uh, like, like caffeine, increase energy, increase some, for some people, mental focus for me, Got it's it. what causes the panic, right? So I try I to see, stay I away see. from these types of plants because I know if I smoke them, I'm going to, I'm going to feel more panicky. I'm going to feel more paranoid. Okay. So okay. anyway, um, this is a very reductive way of saying that there are 300 something plus terpenes that the cannabis plant produces in various proportions. Those terpenes actually have an effect on the uh, body in various little degrees, but they're not really the main drivers of the effect. The main drivers of the effect are the cannabinoids. The cannabinoids are like, you know, THC, CBD, but there's also THCA, there's CBDA, there's CBG, CBN, CBV, CBDV. Um, there's again, over 150, I'm not gonna name them all, but uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. The, so, and, and the way this works is the cannabis plant starts with CBG. CBG is cannabigerol. It is uh, known as the God cannabinoid. And the reason why is because it creates through um, through its life cycle, it creates all the other compounds. So you start with CBG, yeah. CBG breaks down to THCA and CBDA, yeah. which are okay. the acid forms of those cannabinoids. When you smoke weed, the 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 cannabis itself has it's mostly THCA. The heat from the lighter or the heat from the burn converts that into delta nine THC. Delta okay. nine THC is what gives you the most psychoactive effect. Um, okay. It also converts CBDA into CBD. Um, okay. And so um, this is a, 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 a chemical process known as decarboxylation. And when you make edibles, the reason you have to heat the plant material up is to decarboxylate the THCA into THC. And some of the, um, the research that's been coming out lately is that THCA, which is the non-psychoactive form of the compound prior to its decarboxylation, actually does have a medicinal effect in a lot of people. Okay. There's so much to unlock here. And there's so much that these cannabinoids do individually that are somewhat similar, but also somewhat different. And we're still learning that like, you know, whereas previously we thought you had to have Delta 9 THC for THC to work, okay. that, you know, THCA was probably useless because it wasn't psychoactive. It actually isn't useless, it, but it just doesn't have to get you intoxicated to have an effect. Yeah. So. Okay. That makes sense. And, and and I think I hear a little bit of what you're saying around that activation mechanism, because you talked about, you know, the heat sparking off a reaction. So does that tell a story that certain... If you're looking for certain effects, there are like smoking it is going to be better than um, a tincture or an edible or even if you're looking for the same sort of cannabinoid uh, or the same effect that one of those is going to work better for you. 
it it could either work better for you or 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 differently in the way that you're looking for. You know what I mean? Because like okay. they they all have sort of various different things going on. Um, if you uh, smoke cannabis, and personally, I I found that smoking is just my favorite form of consumption. I tend to get okay. I, I don't know a better way of saying this, a more like rounded effect, meaning I feel like I'm getting okay. more of what the plant provides and less of just an individual thing. When you take an edible, you're mostly just consuming one single isolated compound like Delta 9 THC I see. or CBD yeah. and maybe THC and CBD. But what you're not getting is the effects of those terpenes. Um, and what you're also not, and, and by the way, they might keep terpenes in an edible, but it, it's going through your digestive system. So it's going through your body in a very different form than when you're smoking right. or vaping. And I so, see. uh, the Delta nine THC that might be present in that edible goes through your liver and converts into 11 hydroxy THC, which is a far more intoxicating compound and a far more psychotropic compound than Delta nine THC. Oh, so it starts with the same compound, but yeah. because your body processes it in a different way, that's why so many people have really negative side effects for the first time they use edibles because they overconsume. It takes a lot longer to process. And then sure. when they get hit with it, they start freaking out thinking they're going to die. They won't. Sure. Nobody <laughs> has ever died from that, but they, they will think it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, it will uh, surely feel like it. Yeah. yeah. When you take uh, tinctures, you can get a lot of the benefits of all the other compounds because generally you're going to be taking it sublingually under your tongue yeah. and it crosses the blood brain barrier much more effectively going through that tissue. And it doesn't convert to 11 hydroxy THC as a result. Okay. Um, although some tinctures tell you just to drop it down your throat and swallow it, in which case right. then it will be 11 hydroxy, right? So, that, sure. And then there's also now a new version of uh, these compounds that are known as nano emulsions, which oh. is basically taking the CBD and THC compounds and breaking them down to an, uh, a very tiny level so that it can immediately cross the blood brain barrier. And now you can find edibles that have that are called fast acting or yeah. uh, nano THC in them. And if you take those edibles, you'll feel the onset of those effects within five to 15 minutes, and it will be very similar to smoking or vaping. Oh, wow. And the beverages market has a lot of that going on. When you asked earlier what I'm, what I'm also excited about, I'm excited to see the beverages market increase because you know, I think a lot of people are waiting for the day where they can just take a six pack of, um, of cannabis drinks over to a football game and know exactly what they're getting into. Know it won't be overwhelming. Yeah. Know that they'll yeah. feel those effects as predictably as they would a six pack of Bud Light or whatever. Yeah. Um, and, and we're almost there. In fact, I've even had a few uh, cannabis products uh, on the beverages side that just were released in this year that I feel really kind of meet that promise. So yeah. The delivery oh, nice. method of the medicine is very vital in what the effects of that medicine are. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, how you intake it, uh, what various forms of it you're intaking, whether there's terpenes present or not present. Um, you know, there's a whole lot of different products that, that answer those questions in various ways. And it's just about experimenting, journaling, and finding out what really works for you. Yeah. You know, one of the one of one phenomenon that I'm I find myself fascinated with is the notion of the placebo effect. Yeah. Have there been studies done looking at cannabis and versus a placebo? Because like some of the some of the benefits that you're describing, like for some people they they sound amazing and for other people they're like, yeah, I'm not really interested in that. But I wonder how this stacks up against giving someone a hemp joint and yeah. having them smoke it um versus like smoking a uh, cannabis joint. Right. 
Sort of like the idea of uh, going to a keg party and bringing O'Doul's and seeing if everybody acts drunk, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, when I said earlier that there hasn't been any human trials uh, that have been conducted in like a you know FDA regulated way, this is one of those things that we just still yeah like they have been done, but mostly this research is being done by private companies, I see. and so that data and that research isn't widely available to the public. Yeah. It's mostly just used for their own internal innovation and R and D, and so. A lot of what has been done, unfortunately, is um, not readily available or in the public until we get to a point where we can have some sort of federal regulatory body to oversee this research. And then we can start doing God knows how many different clinical trials, uh, testing against placebo, testing against terpenes, testing against cannabinoids, and like trying to really unlock a lot of these questions. I I think about this a lot too. And honestly, um, when I said earlier that the drug war propaganda still lives in my brain to this day. I I use cannabis a lot for ADD. I'm not diagnosed with ADD. Um, I probably would have been when I was a kid if I had been born a little bit later, but I was born in 1980 and just kind of wasn't really the big deal then. You know, if you're born in 85, you probably were on Ritalin as a kid uh, because it just became the popular diagnosis. But I know enough about the conditions of ADD to know I have a mild enough case of ADD that is pronounced, but not debilitating. And, and I yeah. treat it by using cannabis. I smoke yeah. weed, generally speaking, all day, every day, and yet maintain a very productive life and yeah. um, you know have a high-functioning position at a, a, at a cannabis software company. That isn't possible if you believe the old drug war propaganda that, you know, weed makes you non-productive and stupid sure. or destroys your brain cells. In fact, I've gotten smarter, if not only because I'm able to focus more and learn more, right? So yeah. yet I still always question myself, like, am I just justifying this use? Am I just telling myself that, yeah. you know, I, I think I have this condition and therefore I'm using cannabis in this way? Like if I stopped using cannabis, would I really notice an effect? Well, luckily enough, I'm having uh, uh, our first baby uh, in December. And yeah, congratulations. Uh, thank you. Um, in solidarity with my wife, I decided to stop smoking for the last month of her pregnancy up until okay. the baby's at least, you know, a month old. And okay. in this time, I have noticed my focus is all over the place. I am unable oh, to like maintain my productivity like I used to. I often yeah. feel kind of dumb in certain situations, like, oh, how did I forget to do that thing? It's just so easy <laughs> to remember to do it. Yeah. My mind just slips a little bit, you know, like I'm on a wet floor trying to run. And if I was consuming the way I, I had been prior to this point, I probably wouldn't be feeling those effects because it's a very pronounced shift. Sure. So I think like, you know, there's probably placebo effect out there as we've noticed there's placebo effect for all things, but for all um, things. Yeah, exactly. But I'd also do think that like really getting this research will help people whom think that they're justifying use when really they're actually using it for a specific thing. Yeah. I shouldn't continually be like guilt tripping myself or feeling this like, you know, sort of analogy to shame for my usage because it's still ingrained in my brain that using cannabis is a bad thing. You know, yeah. I actually yeah. am, am using it to become a more productive citizen and become a, a more productive professional and a better husband. And those things actually are happening. And when I'm not using it, those things slip and it's a very pronounced yeah. and noticeable effect. So th- we need the research is really the yeah. ultimate answer to that. And really, the gate to that is the fact that it's um, considered by federal law an illegal substance. That's right. The federal government is very inconsistent here. They will tell you that this is a Schedule One narcotic, which means it has, first, no medicinal value, and second, that mm. they believe it is as destructive as heroin or, uh, or cocaine. 
Yeah. Actually, cocaine is a Schedule Two substance. Sorry, uh, bath okay. salts. Right, bath salts Schedule One. Okay. Bath salts okay. make you eat people's faces. I don't know anybody who's ever done that on cannabis, right? At the same <laughs> right. time, the government holds a patent that they patented in, I want to say 2005, 2009, okay. that okay. states that CBD has medicinal value. So uh, they hold the position plan. that it has no medicinal value and they hold a patent for its medicinal value at the same, at the same time, which should tell yeah. you everything you need to know about what's wrong with the situation. Right. Yeah. The um, that patent is being used now for on the CBD side in um, in products in the pharmaceutical industry. There's a company called Epidiolex, which has released the very first pharmaceutically governed CBD product for epilepsy okay. because CBD does have actually research proven anti-epileptic yeah. effects at a great level. Yeah. So it's confusing that the federal government will say both things at the same time, but they're real quiet about that patent. They don't like to talk about it. So. We're coming to the end of our time together, um, but I want to leave room for anything that you think we haven't covered that you really want to get into for a minute. The One of the things that brought me into the industry, other than just, you know, sort of my curiosity and passion for the science behind the plant, chiefly was the social justice uh, potential for what the cannabis industry can promise, Right. We've lived and, and, you know, I'm a I'm a dare child. I, I went through this this entire, you know, this is your brain on drugs yeah. culture. And um, and 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 I'm now as an adult able to, like, see the destructive effects it has had on communities of color across the nation and and, and its intention to do so. Right. The illegality of cannabis was started as a way to both uh, protect an industry and subjugate um, a minority population. Um, okay. It has always been a tool of oppression and a tool of racism. Okay. And we're now in a world where all of these people are serving prison sentences that should and could be released. Yeah. But also that we have an industry where a lot of white people are making millions of dollars off of what should be wealth passed down to the families of black and brown communities. But the initial entrepreneurs of the cannabis industry are serving jail sentences, and most of them are black and, and, and Hispanic. Sure. And the the thing that That's I sad. really believe strongly in is taking what is the growth of this industry and the national sort of consensus that has finally gotten behind it and using it to reverse the ills of the war on drugs, to not just decriminalize and uh, expunge the sentences of those prisoners, but to also prop them up and give them funding and give them resources to help them become the entrepreneurs of the new cannabis industry yeah. because they deserve it. They earned it more than I did. Okay. I shouldn't be making a buck while they're serving a prison sentence. And yeah, that I feel like right. this is so quintessential to tackling a lot of our nation's problems uh, from police over-policing and police brutality to yeah. the, the, the problem of wealth being stripped away and held away from communities of color while white communities continued to increase the wealth. The income inequality gap right now is larger than it's ever been in history. And a lot of that, it can be pointed towards this and other things, other policies. But of course, I, yeah. I really I, I feel like this is super important. There's a, um, a nonprofit that is called The Last Prisoner Project, and its mission is to make sure that that they won't stop until the very last prisoner serving a nonviolent drug offense is released. And um, and I feel like getting behind those types of movements is is important, as well as getting behind legalization efforts like are happening in New Jersey, yeah. where equity is central to 
the framework. Yeah. And by equity, equity, what I mean is ensuring that black and brown licensees, people who want to become cannabis own, uh, business owners, are are moved to the front and are given the resources and the money specifically yeah. to be able to overcome this hurdle that has been created for them that white people are able to skip over, right? So yeah. this is one of the most important aspects of the industry to me. This is what drew me here. This is why I feel like the cannabis industry is wholly different from any other industry I've worked within because we're starting this industry from scratch other than like trying to take the tech industry or the real estate industry or the oil and gas industry and drag them into doing good. That's right. We can actually start this industry off on the right foot doing good from the very beginning. And I feel a lot of people in the industry have that ethos behind what they're doing and are trying to make social good part of their overall corporate strategy. Yeah, totally. Instead of disrupting an existing industry, like starting off in the right way, or at least in the right direction. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and as a consumer, there's a lot of ways that you can get behind this. Um, you know, I mean, first off, just like support these movements, but buy cannabis from black and brown people, yeah. you know, wherever you are, you know, if you have the opportunity to, even if there's only one person in your entire community that is uh, black or brown and is creating these products, Go support them because they don't have this support most likely coming from yeah. the government. They don't have it coming from the regulatory frameworks and they don't have a network of investors to help prop them up like so many others uh, who are white do. Yeah. And so, you know, you can you can buy from the, the those entrepreneurs individually. You can also buy from brands that are committed to doing good. Whether that is, you know, fighting the um, restorative justice cause or feeding the homeless, yeah. there are a lot of different social causes that are entangled into uh, certain products in the cannabis industry. If you just make sure you choose based on those types of ethics, yeah. um, you can help make a really big impact. Yeah. So, Brad, this has been an incredible, wide-ranging conversation. I love everything that we've talked about, but we have to wind things down, um, unfortunately. Sad. I want to ask you... What's uh yeah, I mean we can do a part two later, but you know I think I think this is <laughs> definitely course. a good sort of like one one course. I like it. So what's an important lesson that you've learned in your life, whether it's in your, uh you know in regard to your life itself or work that you carry with you now? Maybe something you wish you learned earlier. Man, that's such a great question. I have like probably three answers that I would love to give. <laughs> I made a huge mistake early on in my uh, entrepreneurial ventures, at least, okay. in not believing myself capable. Um, oh. I feel like we have this notion that to be successful, you have to have an experience of success. You know, okay. that you have to come from some sort of, I, I, I've had multiple successful exits as an entrepreneur, so I'm going to be a successful CEO. Or, you know, I went sure. to business school, so I know how to be a businessman or whatever, or businesswoman. Right, right. It's a, it's like this like super old school mentality that I think, you know, some of us really still battle with, at least I did. And I made a lot of mistakes when running my uh, my companies early on by deferring leadership to people who had those backgrounds. Okay. One of the things I learned is that nobody knows what the fuck they're doing. Like no CEO <laughs> knows what they're doing. No sure. parent knows what they're doing. No right. adult knows what they're doing. We're all doing this for the very first time. Yeah. People can tell us, hey, here's how to do something. Yeah. And you can maybe take some lessons from that. But it's not going to translate exactly to you. Yeah. Your set of circumstances and variables are very unique to your experience. And every yeah. company, every venture, every artistic project, every child, like these are all new experiments in the world. And they're predicated off of what we've learned, but they're also creating new things. And so... I think it's important for us all to realize that nobody knows what they're doing yeah. and that that's just fine. Right. Yeah. Like 
this idea that we should control everything based on what we've been able to do before that there's that there's not wild variable chaos involved in each and everything that happens to us yeah. gives us this illusion that we can control everything that happens to us and that can yeah. lead to desperation and hopelessness and feeling really inept when i think a lot of us have the strength to be able to figure out what we need to do yeah um and how to succeed and it doesn't come from doubting ourselves all the time and it doesn't come from deferring to people who have the quote unquote experience, right? Yeah. I, I've found CEOs that were wildly successful in multiple places that then joined a new company and failed miserably because they just didn't yeah. grasp the new set of variables, the culture, the people, the products, right? Yeah. It's just everything is always going to be a new experience. And you can take some lessons and you can learn from other people and you can listen to me and say, oh, cool, I'm going to learn from this lesson. And I'm telling you a lesson right now that you won't learn until you go through it. <laughs> but it was a hard, right. expensive lesson to learn from me. And, yeah. and if anything, just knowing when you feel that doubt in a moment that you don't know what you're doing, to know that other people feel the same, even though they might not outwardly express it, gives you a little yeah. bit of sense of like there's misery in company or uh, misery loves company, right? That's right. You know, yeah. uh, the, the most successful CEO, when the cameras stop rolling, immediately start to worry about the fact that somebody's going to realize that they're a fraud and that they don't know what they're doing and that they're making it up as they go along each and every time. Yeah. I love this point that you're bringing up for so many reasons. And like you said, it's great that you're articulating it. It's hard to ingest this and really feel it yeah. because I think you there's a, there's, there's a shred of belief. Have you read the Harry Potter books at all? No. Oh, okay. There's actually a moment that um, there's a moment in the third book in the prisoner of Azkaban and look, JK Rowling, like she's an amazing person for having written the books. Yeah. However, like her personal views I, that's something I can't get down with. No doubt. But there's a moment where he sees a past version of himself doing a thing that he doesn't think he can do, right? Mm. He conjures this like protective creature, this Patronus, yeah. and he sees himself doing it. And because he sees himself doing it, then he has the confidence to actually do it himself. And that's a concept, like that's a, those books are, I'm, currently reading them with my daughter. Yeah. And that's a really hard concept to understand. Yeah. Understand that you can do this thing even if you think you can't, yeah. right? Um, you are fully capable right now of doing this thing that you think you can't do. But like to push past the fear, the uncertainty, the what if I fuck up? Like what are the consequences? Like push past it, sit in the tension, right? Feel it, but then move forward. That's a really tough lesson. It is such a tough lesson. Um, and and it's just like almost one of those lessons you have to fail to learn, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I feel like, being able to know that you're capable of doing something without any knowledge as to how you're capable of doing something right. is important. Right. I, I've gone through bankruptcy in my life. And I remember at one point I was just so despondent. Oh, that's and, tough. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, I'm glad I went through it because I learned a really powerful lesson. At one point, like when I was at my most hopeless, my wife looks at me and she goes, babe, they can't take me and they can't take the dog. They could take everything oh, else, but you will yeah. always have the two people who love you most right by your side. Yeah. They can't take us. And I was like, yeah wow, where did you come up with that <laughs> wisdom? Like that's, that's some like guru level shit right there. Yeah. But it also gave me all the strength I needed to realize I could make it through a bankruptcy, even though I hadn't yeah. and nobody in my family had gone through that before. Yeah. It was a wholly unique experience that I had no knowledge of how I was going to navigate. But the knowledge that they couldn't take away what was most important to me gave me the strength to just do it. Yeah. You know, sometimes you just like, you just go to war and yeah. you fight a battle and you don't know how to shoot the weapon, but you, 
it's life or death. So you figure it out, right? Like, you know, trial by fire, if you will, you have to believe yourself capable in those moments, even though you don't know why or how you're capable. Yeah. A hundred percent. It's super powerful. Yeah. So where can people find out more about you? Um, Are you online? Do you have something coming out that we should be watching for? Um, well, you can find me on Twitter at Force Ghost Brad. Okay. Um, it's sort of a little riff on Star Wars. Uh, I, I run a podcast with a few other cats called Nerd AF. Okay. And we we delve into like all sorts of nerd topics, like comic books and video games and movies. And and really, the point of that conversation is to draw out some of the social justice issues that are really being led in our culture from nerd culture and uh you know how okay movies like black panther are changing the the way that kids view themselves and you know uh untangling this problem of uh diversity and inclusion in entertainment yeah um so i think it's a pretty fun podcast you should check check that out nerd af show on twitter and twitch okay um awesome. the thing that i'm doing right now that i'm really probably the most passionate about is volunteering my time with a, a street organization here in california called the hood squad okay and you can find the Hood Squad on Instagram. It's T H A, not T H E. So the Hood Squad is—it's not really like your typical nonprofit. Like you, you know, this is a street organization from the hood, black and brown led, and these are people who are doing everything they can to fight against the trauma of their communities from uh, over policing from racial profiling, and also just from struggling to live in conditions of gentrification. East Palo Alto is sort of like a little hood right across the street from very, very rich Palo Alto. And the cost of living here is so high, but the people who live in this community are mostly frontline workers and essential workers and blue collar workers. So how are they supposed to survive you know, in a, in such an expensive environment? So one of the ways that we help is by feeding people, whether they're homeless or not, People in need need food, and you can't really ever pull yourself out of a bad situation if you're starving. That's like the number one central focus to almost every movement that comes out of the black community. Like the Panthers had a a, a breakfast program, so does the Hood Squad. And so we've been, um, uh, I've been uh, volunteering with them since May. They've been feeding people for the last four years and will continue to do so. And we've only been able to increase how many people we can feed. And because of coronavirus, we're also helping uh, protect these communities by giving out PPE with food and water. So we've got it down to a science. Basically, we can we can give a meal kit with uh, with a face mask, with water, with a snack, with the utensils and all that yeah. for a dollar. One dollar yeah. gives one wow. meal out, right? And um, and that covers us uh, covers gas for us to go into homeless camps and like actually deliver this meal to them because yeah. a lot of these people can't leave these places and won't come to a food shelter. Yeah. Um, but if you go to their encampment and hand it to them, you know they 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 need it and they're really happy to take it. And so you know gas and supplies and all of that it does cost money. Yeah. Um, nobody gets paid in the hood squad. It's all about feeding the streets and protecting the people. So uh, really, the thing I'm most passionate about is volunteering there. And uh, I'm saying all this to say, if you're listening, you know, please help support the cause. Like I said, a dollar can help put a a meal and a face mask into the hands of somebody in need. Um, And we're doing over a thousand of these every single week. Yeah, I can see the the your posts on Instagram and like you and the group are I think making such an impact in the community. Um and it's just it's it's great to see you and uh other folks just getting out there and and lending a helping hand, right? And I think I think especially this year it's been a tough year for 
uh, it might be a tough year for us, yeah. you and I speaking, but the reality is, is that there are a lot of people who've had an even tougher year. Yeah. So to, to help and, and, and really be focused and principled about the work that you do. Well, to bring it back to your, um, your point right before this about uh, finding the strength to do things that you don't know how to do. Yeah. I, when, when the coronavirus pandemic started, I found myself immediately unemployed and mm. was unemployed for like four or five months. Yeah. It was literally my biggest fear because I'm living in the most expensive environment in the United States. <laughs> and I'm like, right. shit, if I don't have a job, I'm going to be homeless in a month or two, yeah. right? Because the cost of living here is too high. Yeah. And so then I found myself in the worst case scenario that I had conjured in my brain. Yeah. And, and I didn't know what to do. I started really working with the hood squad because I had all this additional time and yeah. I, and I had the, the reasoning to do it. Yeah. And what I saw was what the worst case scenario looks like for a lot of people. Yeah. And I realized that my worst case scenario was pretty fucking bougie in comparison. You know, the worst <laughs> sure. thing that could happen to me is that we lose, uh, lost our house and had to move back with my parents in Texas. Right. But, you know, my parents have a pretty nice house in Texas. Like, that's not that bad of an outcome compared to right. being on the streets, being in a tent, you know, in, in environments that are dirty and messy, yeah. where people are riddled with addiction and all sorts of mental health issues. Yeah. Like, that's a real worst case scenario. Yeah. And if you want to, like, really help benchmark your perspective here and know that what you're struggling with, while it is unique and difficult, it is not as bad as it could be. That will give you strength. Go, go put the, a meal into the hands of somebody in need in their environment yeah. and see that firsthand. That will give you real perspective on what the worst case scenario looks like. And you'll realize you're probably not going to be there anytime soon. Yeah, it's <laughs> a good point. Putting everything into context. Yeah. Well, thank you, Brad. I appreciate you making time and space for our conversation today. I yes. mean, it has been enlightening on so many fronts. Um, so thank you. Yes, thanks for having me on, man. This has been great. And thank you for listening to How This Works. This episode was edited and mastered by Troy Lococo. Please subscribe and leave us a review in your favorite podcast app. It would help us so much if you could tell just one other person about the show and why they should listen to it. You can find How This Works at howthisworks.show. That's three words, no dashes. Again, that's howthisworks.show. We're also active on social media. I hope that you got as much out of my conversation with Brad as we had in making it. And we'll talk again soon. I want you to own the thing, right? Because yeah. I think so many times we apologize and we're like, oh, you, we know a little bit, but we're not experts. And it's just like, sure, no, sure. fuck it. Own the thing that you know.